If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Mark, chapter 4. Chapter 4, we're going to look in verses 30 through 34 today. And today is going to be a little different. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible today. So, <laughs> let me go ahead and get this out. Um, I've got four Bibles. King James, the New King James, the New American Standard Bible, and the Christian Standard Bible. And from, from now on... <laughs> I'm going to be using one or the other. Uh, Ever how the scripture speaks to me clearest in whichever text is the one I'll use. So next week we might be in King James. Next week we might be back in New King James. It's going to vary week to week. Uh, And I know there are some who are King James only. Bring your King James Bible. You'll see that it, it fits. If uh, we can't get hung up on translations because <laughs> none of them are the original text. We don't even have the original text. The closest we have are the Dead Sea Scrolls and there are copies of copies of copies of copies of copies. And for those who are King James only and they want to point fingers, and it's okay to be King James only, just don't point fingers at me because I don't always use it. But for those who want to use that and want to point fingers when you don't, you can't even read the original King James, the 1611. You couldn't read it if you had one because we don't talk that way anymore. So this, this will help us. This today, for me, as I was reading from these translations, this gave clarity to what Scripture was saying. I struggled. I don't know about you, but I, I struggled with this, with this parable. And this gave me a little more clarity in Mark 4, 30 through 34. Now, hopefully this helps you. The kingdom of God is like a Volkswagen Beetle. That's not in the Bible. This is an illustration. (laughs) It's like a Volkswagen Beetle. (laughs) It's one of the smallest cars that you will ever see. It's not very comfortable. It's not very powerful. It's not very stylish or practical. It's very cheap and it's not impressive in any way. There's no status in owning a Volkswagen Beetle. And yet, it's one of the most recognizable cars on the road. If you pass one, you know what it is. If it passes you, you know what it is. And you know you need to speed up. <laughs> it grew out of it grew from backwater Germany, cheap Germany's cheap mode of trans, transport into a phenomenon. This was Germany's cheapest vehicle they made, and now it's some phenomenon. It's popular beyond imagining. It is loved and an integral part of social and sociological movements. It's a marketing miracle. It's a cultural icon. People may smile when they look at them, but they don't really laugh at them. They are a success story beyond expectation. For many people, it is actually the car of choice. This is the force of the parable that we have today. We're looking at a parable 
that says in Mark 4, beginning with verse 30, it's, and he was saying, how shall we picture the kingdom of God or by what parable shall we present it? It is like a mustard seed, which when sown upon the soil, though it is the smallest of all the seeds that are upon the soil, yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and forms large branches with the result that the birds of the sky can nest under its shade. And with many such parables, he was speaking the, the word to them so far as they were able to understand it. And he did not speak to them without a parable, but was explaining everything privately to his own disciples. This is God's holy word. God, we thank you for this day. God, we, we ask that you would move and minister upon us today as only you can. And as you move, God, we'll be sure to give you praise glory and honor. We ask God that as you speak to our hearts, if there's one with us that doesn't know you through your son, Jesus Christ, that today would be the day that they would surrender their life to you, that they would cry out, what must I do to be saved? We know God, if they'll believe upon the name of the Lord, if they'll believe in Jesus and confess him as Lord and Savior, that God today they can be saved. So move upon them as only you can and we'll be sure to give you praise glory and honor for all that you do in jesus holy name we pray amen in today's text jesus is describing the growth and the greatness of his kingdom his kingdom is growing through a movement we know as christianity jesus is teaching as Jesus is teaching here, Christianity hasn't even begun. As a matter of fact, it wasn't until Jesus had ascended back to the Father and they, the believers were in Antioch that they were first called Christians. However, Jesus is the foundation of Christianity. Christianity, like its founder, began from the smallest of beginnings. So in this text, we begin to see the humble groundwork of the kingdom of God. In this passage, Jesus wants to give a picture of the kingdom of God. He seems to want to begin from the very beginning. He asks two questions. How shall we picture the kingdom of God or by what parable shall we present it? It's almost as if Jesus is concerned with providing the right illustration that would give the right description of the kingdom of God. He's sure the people, if he doesn't give the right illustration or the right depiction, that the people are going to miss what he's trying to say. So Jesus says that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. He then shares, uh, he shares that the mustard seed is the smallest of the seeds that are upon the soil. It takes about 750 seeds to make up one gram. It takes about 28 grams to make up one ounce. So simple math will let us know that it takes 21,000 seeds to make up one ounce of mustard seed. 21,000 seeds to make up one ounce. Well, that's a lot of seeds. That's got to be a small seed. It would be as if it was sand 
that you'd find in an hourglass. Fine, broken up. That's how small this seed is. And Jesus is saying that the kingdom of God is as the mustard seed. It appears that Jesus is telling the disciples that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God on earth, or would, what we would know as Christianity, is small, but it's not going to stay that way. This movement is about, that's about to take place starring Jesus Christ and his disciples is going to grow larger than anyone could ever imagine. You can imagine the humble beginnings. The humble beginnings of Christianity are, are, are almost obscure. Most people couldn't see that something like this would take off and become what it is today. Notice the humble beginnings of the founder of Christianity. What we know is that Jesus was born in the town of Bethlehem in a stable where he was wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a feeding trough. He was raised up in a place called Nazareth, in a place where that was considered to be inhabited by wicked and immoral people. With Philip, who, who had met Jesus and, and was excited about seeing Jesus do things and hearing him teach, he, he wanted Nathaniel to come along with him. And he told Nathaniel to come meet this man, Jesus. And Nathaniel said, can anything good come from Nazareth. It is believed that this prophet who was from Galilee, Nazareth was a small town in Galilee. And, and the Bible tells us here that prophets really don't come out of Galilee. In John seven fifty two, said, and they answered and said to him, you, you are not from Galilee as well, are you? Examine the scriptures and see that no prophet arises out of Galilee. So where Jesus is coming from, you would not think that he's going to be any harm. He's going to accomplish anything. He's going to do anything significant in this world. His family looked down on him. For his mother or his family was looked down on because his mother, it was found that she was pregnant before she was ever married. And, and they they said this, they chided Jesus with this in John 8 and 41. For they said to him, we were not born as a result of sexual immorality. He didn't receive a formal education. His followers were fishermen, tax collectors, outcasts. And one of those would end up betraying him. He was despised and rejected by men. He was falsely accused. He was illegally tried. He was brutally beaten at a whipping post. And they, they nailed him to an old rugged cross. And he, he gave his life up. And when he said it was finished, he was buried in a borrowed tomb. So Why? Why would anybody think that anything significant would come from this man? His followers preached his resurrection and many ignored and rejected their message of a risen Savior who died for their sins. Listen, Jesus' message wasn't a message that was easy to receive. It's not a message that's easily received today. I mean, when you're, when you're sharing a message to love your enemies and, and pray for those who despitefully use you, many people don't want to hear that today. His message was to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Not before they do unto you, but have as you would have them do unto you. His message was to turn the other cheek when you were slapped. His message was to deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow him. His message was difficult to receive. For it was for when a rich young ruler wanted, etern, wanted to ask him, what will it take for me to, in, to inherit eternal life? 
Jesus told him, you've done everything except one thing. Y'all know how that narrative actually goes. Jesus told him to keep the commandments. He said, I've done that. He said, but you lack one thing. You lack one thing. He said, sell all your possessions. Give them to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. The rich young ruler left grieving. He wasn't prepared to give up everything to follow Jesus. There's no question that the kingdom of God was just like this tiny, insignificant uh, mustard seed in the beginning. No one could see how this tiny seed that Jesus was sowing, what it would become. You know what's sad? What's sad is that this same Savior who came to earth is still being rejected today. He didn't come in all fanfare demanding that everyone would serve him. Instead, he humbled himself. Philippians 2, 5 and 8 says, Jesus Christ, who, as he already existed in the form of God, did not consider it equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a bondservant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient, to the point of death, death on the cross. I'm well aware that people continue to reject Jesus because they don't want to deny themselves. They're afraid to give up everything they know for a promise that they haven't seen. The problem is that we hold on to our homes, our bank accounts, our cars, our families, our jobs, and our own way because we, we're familiar with that. We hold on to these things in such a high regard that the thought of giving them up to follow him seems to be just too much to ask. You know, every, almost every time that parable about that rich young ruler is taught, somebody's going to ask. It doesn't matter what age group you're in. doesn't matter what class. doesn't matter what teacher. doesn't matter what preacher. Usually, some, does God really expect us to give up everything like that? You know, we, we're troubled by giving up everything for him. But trusting God is all that matters. It's not about the stuff we have. It's about trusting him. It's not about, it's not that he desires to take things away from us, but he desires to be first in our lives. When he told Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, Abraham was willing to sacrifice his own son, but God didn't force him to sacrifice his own son. When he saw that Abraham loved him more than his own son, he told him, he said, oh, stop, don't do no harm to your child. And he provided a sacrifice. He provided a lamb. Jesus came to this sin-cursed world and gave his life. Jesus proved God's will was more important than his own will. And he trusted his heavenly father. And for this, God has highly exalted him. Philippians 2, 9 through 11 says, For this reason, God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him a name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God wants to give us more than what we've ever received. He wants to give us more than what we can accomplish on our own. But it begins with humbling ourselves and surrendering to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Oh, <laughs> the, 
the beginning. It was a humble beginning. It was a humble foundation. But we also see in here an amazing growth of the kingdom of God. Why is this tiny seed going to grow? Why is this tiny seed going to grow? Jesus said that his seed will be sown upon the earth. For he says there, look there in verse 32, when it is sown. He's not saying if it is sown. (laughs) He's giving an indication there that this is going to happen. That it's going to go upon the soil. Again, he is saying that the gospel is going to go forth upon the earth. And we know that if it goes forth, it's not going to return void. But it's going to accomplish the will that God has for it. The earth, the world, it needs to hear the gospel. The gospel is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news of Jesus Christ is that one man, by one man's disobedience, that man was Adam. Many were made sinners and God saw us in our sinful state. And in the fullness of time, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come to this sin-cursed world. And through the obedience of one, Jesus Christ, many, those of us who have believed, will be made righteous. But when the mustard seed is sown in soil, in good soil, it develops and it produces a very large shrub-like plant. This plant grows until it resembles a tree. This plant, it can get as high as 15 feet tall. It's amazing that something so small Something with such humble beginnings can produce something so amazing. That little seed, that one little seed, where it takes 21,000 to make an ounce, one seed can produce a tree up to 15 feet tall. Again, this amazing growth is a picture of the kingdom of God because in the beginning there was just Jesus Christ and a few unlikely followers that no one was going to take serious. But in the three years of his ministry, a number, the number of followers increased. As a matter of fact, when Jesus ascended back to the Father, he told them to go to, go to an upper room and to, to stay there. They gathered, the disciples gathered there, and they stayed until Pentecost. And there were 120 of them in that room. Acts 1 and 15 says that at the time Peter stood among the brothers and sisters, a group of about 120 people was there together. But on the day of Pentecost, that 120, it grew to over 3,000. Acts 2 and 41 says, So then, those who had received his word were baptized, and in that day there were added about 3,000 souls. It wasn't long after that about 5,000 were added at one time. In Acts 4 and 4, the Bible says, But many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. Have you done the math? In just a matter of days, it's gone from 120 to over 8,000 in just a matter of days. As the message of the gospel was sown throughout the world, multitudes by faith believed Jesus Christ and confessed him as Lord and Savior and were baptized. It's amazing that over 2,000 years ago, people around the world are still surrendering their lives 
to Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God continues to grow and it will grow on, uh, on into the end. When, when in Revelation 7, 9 and 10 says that after these things I looked and behold a great multitude no one could count. A multitude that no one could count. In other words, the number is getting so high we don't have, the, we don't have an idea what the number really is. From every nation and the tribes, peoples, and languages, they're all standing around the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, palm branches were in their hands, and they cried out with a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. <laughs> oh, what, what a glorious thing to know that this movement, the kingdom of God, Christianity, the kingdom of God on earth, we Y'all know we are the kingdom of God here on earth, right? That it has grown to be what it is, and it's still growing. It hasn't stopped, and it won't stop until God calls us all home. Folks, it's hard to see, isn't it? It's hard to see that God, that something that would begin to, that would seem so insignificant and become so great. But it's not hard to see that God uses people in the same way. I mean, think about it. Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation. I mean, it all began with Abraham, didn't it? God called him out from among his people, a heathen nation. A nation that served many gods. And God told him to come out from his people. And God promised that he'd make him a great nation. He'd bless him. He'd make his name great. And he'd be a blessing to others. God promised that those who blessed him, that he would bless. Those who cursed him, he would curse. And God promised that all the families of the earth would be blessed. Uh, I don't know if you've put this together, but if you track Jesus' lineage, it'll go all the way back to Abraham. And I'm so glad that I've been blessed because of Jesus. And because I've been blessed because of Jesus, I've been blessed because Abraham followed the word of God. Well, look at David. That's easy to see, isn't it? I mean, David, you talk about a mustard seed. David was the youngest of his father's house. He was left alone to keep the, keep the sheep in the fields. And his, his own father didn't even consider him worthy to come and meet the prophet when the prophet come to anoint the successor of King Saul. You know what's amazing about that? If it would have been one of David's brothers, his dad didn't think enough of David for David to come in and celebrate one of his brothers being anointed the successor. <laughs> God took that ruddy boy that, whose father didn't think much of and he made him into a great warrior and the greatest king that Israel had. Oh, I, now when we look at the work that God has done in us, for those of us who've been born again, he took us from very lowly beginnings, didn't he? Um, he just think about your life, where it was at. I'm not talking about what family you were born into, but where your life was at. I mean, we were all sinners. Romans 3 and 23 says, for all is sin and fall short of the glory of God. We were all dead, needing to be made alive. Ephesians 2, 1 through 2 says, and you were dead in, the tre in your offenses and sins in which you previously walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air and, the, and of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. In other words, we were dead in the trespass of our sins. 
We were all on our way to a demon's hell. Romans 6 and 23 says, for the wages of sin is death. And that's what we were, sinners. But God, through his loving kindness, through his grace and mercy, he saw our need and he redeemed us. He offered us the gift of grace. We were all, we didn't deserve it. We all followed our own way. But God, through his grace, he offered us the gift of his salvation. Because the end of Romans 6 and 23 says, but the gift of God is eternal life in, in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because we've exercised faith in the finished work of Jesus, faith in the gospel, just like the birds of the air. <laughs> they nest under the shade of the grown mustard seed. We are already seated in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ. <laughs> you know what that tells us is that we can't be harmed. The world can come against us, but because I'm in Christ, the world cannot defeat me. Because I'm in Christ, even if the world takes me out of this world, all they've done is done, do me a favor because then I'm in the presence of God. Death is no longer my enemy. It has now become my friend. And when it comes my way, I, I don't want you to weep for me. If you want to weep, you weep for my family. But don't weep for me because I'm going on to be with the Lord. What a blessing. God used the mustard seed to show how much of a blessing something so small can become. So I, what I want to tell you is this. You're not insignificant. You who are lost, you are not insignificant. Even in this world that we're living in, you matter. You matter. And God can take your life and do something with your life that you never dreamed of if you'll give it to him. Well, preacher, I've waited too late for him to do anything with my life. You give your life to him and see what he'll do with it. It doesn't matter how old you are. Just as it, the seed proved to be a blessing to the birds of the air, the kingdom of God has proven to be a blessing to us today. Receiving the gospel has given us eternal life. It has given us peace that the world cannot give and the world cannot take it away. It has given us unspeakable joy. It has given us hope beyond the trials of this world. And it has given us a love beyond what we could have ever known without him. I believe my wife loves me. I know my daughter loves me. And there's nothing I don't believe that could stop my mother from loving me. But what I do know <laughs> is none of them can love me like Jesus. <laughs> none of them can do for me what Jesus has done for me. None of them can give me hope and peace and joy in the midst of all that this world throws at us. None of them can save me and give me eternal life to where I know that I'm going to live forever no matter what comes my way. None of them could have put me in this place today to serve you. It's all because of Jesus. Every head bowed, every eye closed. You know, maybe there's someone here today who feels that there's no room under the mustard tree for you. I want to assure you that there is. The gospel is for everyone who believes. 
Everyone who will believe that Jesus is the Christ. If you believe that he is the perfect spotless lamb of God. If you believe that he gave his life so that you could be forgiven of your sin. If you believe that on the third day he rose from the grave. Then you can be saved and you can have eternal life. The question is, are you ready? Are you ready to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Are you ready to surrender your life to him?